Welcome to episode 22 of Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And we've uh, got a lot of hot topics for you today. Um, we actually really were kind of struggling to get our list of items down. So um, I think the first item on the agenda, though, has to be Aaron Hernandez. Yes, the Aaron Hernandez trial concluded yesterday when the jury, after six days of deliberation, came back with not guilty verdicts for the double homicide of oh, like Mr. Daniel Abreu. De Abreu and Sefiro Furtado. Yeah. I hope I got the the first names attached correctly with the last names. I think I did. Um, and they also <laughs> the jury also found him not guilty of witness intimidation for uh, shooting Alexander Bradley between the eyes at some point uh, to shut him up about everything that's going on. Right, and he was also found not guilty, sort of somewhat obviously, um, of attempted murder of the other guys who were in the car with the two victims, but he was found guilty of illegal possession of a thirty-eight, um, which Jen and I have been talking about this, and I, I guess, I suppose it's, you can have a gun illegally and not murder anyone with it, but um, trying to kind of figure out how the jury reached um, their verdict, finding him not guilty of basically everything other than the weapons charge, um, we've been... I think struggling a little bit to figure out how they got there. My personal theory is that they think Alexander Bradley shot those two guys. Um, and so Aaron Hernandez might have had the gun, but he didn't uh, do the killing. And it's hard to intimidate a witness who is actually the perpetrator. So I don't know that the, the jury didn't make any public comments except to say they reviewed the law and mm -hmm. the facts. And Yeah, so the one, uh, the statement from the four-woman, four-person, said, but, uh, quote, we, we the jury heard from over 70 witnesses and over 380 exhibits across five weeks. Uh, we deliberated over six days. We based our decision on the evidence presented and the law. So, uh, yeah, so no other juror to uh, date has come out and said and made any comments about the, about the deliberations or, or why they found the way that they did. Um, this all raises very interesting questions because He's been acquitted in this double homicide, but he was found guilty of murdering uh, Odin Lloyd, who the theory goes is that he killed Odin Lloyd to basically, as part of the cover-up for these two other murders. So if the jury has found that he's not guilty of these two murders, um, I mean, that doesn't undo the fact that they found that he was guilty for the Odin Lloyd murder, but I think that probably brings into question a lot of a lot of things. Right, except he's, Aaron Hernandez remains the same person who shot his best friend in the face for, like, making fun of him, so <laughs> there might just be another reason that he killed Odin Lloyd, even if he didn't actually commit these particular murders. Um, and I think we have mentioned it previously, but he is appealing the his Odin Lloyd conviction. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny that Mr. Hernandez's lawyer, Jose Baez, uh, said that he had wished that Hernandez had hired him for the Lloyd trial, and maybe they wouldn't be in this position now. Burn. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. So I was studying for the bar in California when the Odin Lloyd, Aaron Hernandez trial was happening, and I recall, wait, no. no that was weren't. the Whitey Bulger case. <laughs> Sorry, I have my facts mixed up. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, um, following that that. The evidence there seemed a lot stronger. Um, that he, Odenly, yes, yeah. like his bubble gum and the fact that yeah, there were people true. like running around with weird boxes of shit that they wouldn't talk about what was in them. Yes, and, and he had to destroy like video footage from his security cameras right. and his phone. Yeah. And, yeah. 
So um, I don't know, based on the evidence that was made public, I still am pretty sure he killed Odin Lloyd, whether he shot these two guys or not. Um, yeah, the jury did not find that he did. But um, so, you know, there was a lot of um, discussion you know, way back when the trial first started because of the witnesses that were on the lists of, you know, both the prosecution and the defense, like Bill Belichick had been called and uh, Josh McDaniels and all of these other people. Um, but it seemed like the his defense didn't end up calling very many people at all. I think he had maybe one or two character witnesses, um, and obviously his fiance was called as well. But I, I feel that if you're not calling as many witnesses as you thought that you were going to, they felt pretty confident in the their ability to try to punch holes in the case of the prosecution, and it seems to have worked. Right, and that always, I, that can be a risk, right? Because mm-hmm. it's certainly the legal burden is on the prosecution to prove their case. Like, you don't have to, Aaron Hernandez didn't have to prove he didn't do it. He just had to show that the prosecution hadn't proved beyond a reasonable doubt that he did. Mm-hmm. But um, if you don't offer kind of an alternate theory of the crime, it can be really tough to overcome kind of the presumption that uh, I think a lot of people have that the prosecution's case is like true until you kind of poke holes in it, which is not the way the law is supposed to work, but it's practically, I think, the way that it does. So I guess they, I mean, their only alternate theory of the crime was that Alexander Bradley did it, right? So it seems like the jury either bought into that or they just didn't think that there was any sufficient evidence to prove that Hernandez did it. So I don't think that there was any doubt that Aaron Hernandez was there that evening. One in the club and two in the car? Right, because didn't they have the what, yeah. <laughs> the video footage of him and Bradley together leaving like a parking garage, yeah. right? So, I mean, couldn't you still be charged with being an accessory? I think so. Yeah. So maybe the prosecutor's just overcharged here, but I guess they thought they had him. Yeah, and um, the district attorney, Daniel Conley, did say that the victims could take some solace in the fact that Aaron Hernandez was not going free after... I mean, yet. Yet, after (laughs) yesterday's verdict. So he was just going back to state prison to serve uh, his life sentence in the Odin Lloyd murder. Well, and he is um, imprisoned in Bristol County, Massachusetts, which um, recently their sheriff offered up his inmates to serve as labor for the border wall, so he might be he might be headed to Texas soon. Oh, that's um, true. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I guess for him, now he only has one conviction that he's got to try to uh, have overturned in order to get out of jail, mm-hmm. so that's good news on that front. I don't know what the sentence would be for the illegal weapons charge. It's four to five years. Oh, they'll probably just yeah. serve, let him serve <laughs> that concurrently with the, his I don't know. Sentence. Maybe they won't. Maybe yeah. they'll make him serve it out. Um, so the reason why we have this deep interest in Aaron Hernandez, uh, for those of you who are not regular listeners or longtime listeners of this podcast, is that... Um, when the Odin Lloyd trial was happening, when Burke was not studying for the bar, she was already a licensed attorney in California. Listen, there are only a handful of big, exciting trials in Boston, which is sort of where I'm from. Actually, that's not true. That's probably not even true either. Well, Whitey Bulger, Aaron Hernandez, the Marathon Bombers. Yeah, I, you've, you guys three. have been on a roll. So, yeah. um, in any event, we sort of bonded over the Odin Lloyd trial, and um, so that's why he's the godfather of our podcast. 
And we never know. We could probably have him on as a guest one of these days. I mean, maybe. He's been corresponding with other ladies who write to him. So crazier things have happened. Cheyenne might come after us, but you know. (laughs) Oh, purely professional Cheyenne. (laughs) Don't worry. We're not, we're not, um, we're just, as, as the godfather of our podcast, we thought maybe he would like to use this as an opportunity to... Um, you know, put his statement on the record since he didn't testify. He did cry when the verdict was read out. Right. He, um, I couldn't tell. So the video, I was watching it live on um, the newsroom back home. Um, and the camera angle was not great. So at first it looked like he was laughing, which I'm like, that seems very inappropriate. But then he was clearly crying. But I had a moment there where I'm like, oh, he's a real sociopath. I mean, he probably is a sociopath if he's just, like, murdering people because they mouth off to him. But um, I was concerned for him, but then he yeah, became he, obvious he was crying, not laughing, and what was happening. So I felt better about Aaron Hernandez. It was a real emotional roller coaster yesterday watching oh, this. I, I bet. And his daughter was in court the day before, right? It's very sad, mm-hmm. yes. Did he get to give her a hug or anything? No, or I think a- Dan Wetzel... He's a one a writer for Yahoo Sports who has covered in excruciating detail the um, saga of Aaron Hernandez. He really, really has. Um, but if his like sports writing career ever goes down the tubes, he really could be a fiction writer because <laughs> it's so dramatic. Um, but yes, they brought. I believe her name is Aviana. Um, came to court. She was asking for her dad, mm-hmm. um, and so. As one does, um, her mother brought her to court to wave at him, and I think he was able to like wave at her and blow her kisses, but he wasn't able to like give her a hug or anything. Oh, it was so sad. Sad. Yeah. Um. So. But you know, maybe don't murder people, and you could get to hang out with your kid more often. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's one lesson we can learn <laughs> yeah. here. Um. So that concludes this, at least this portion of the Aaron Hernandez double murder trial. Um. We probably will have news if his appeal becomes a big deal but mostly that's just done on paper so there's no courtroom testimony or anything like that so right we won't have to have bill belichick get on the stand and be all grumpy and give like one word answers to questions although that would be fun but yeah (laughs) i don't think that's doesn't look like that's gonna happen so the next uh we are actually fairly nfl intensive today and that's just how things fell that was not um that's not something that we set out to do but St. Louis um, is suing the NFL, uh, not only the league, but all 31, no, actually all 32 owners, sorry, suing every owner in the NFL plus the NFL for basically um, a breach of their contractual duties and also a violation of their own, uh, their own relocation policy. Uh, yeah, so they're asking, I think it was like $1 billion in damages was one thing that I read. So is the stadium in St. Louis just like sitting empty now? I would assume so. They probably use it for concerts or something. Yeah. Um, so the suit is based basically on the league's relocation policy, which requires, and this is according to the complaint, um, that any franchise interested in relocating, one, apply to the league for permission, mm-hmm. two, justify the request based on identified objective factors and then provide notice to the designated entities. Uh, the relocation must be approved by a three-fourths vote of the team owners, and um, they, the plaintiffs in the suit essentially say that the St. Louis Rams and its owner, Stan, Stan Kroenke, right? Yes. Um, sort of. He's married to an heir to the Walmart fortune, I believe, oh. is where his money comes from. Uh, they did not engage in good faith efforts to um, work with the city of St. Louis to uh, basically 
identify those objective factors and then like answer those objective factors in determining that St. Louis was no longer where uh, the Rams wanted to be and that Los Angeles did fulfill these objective factors. The other part of the suit, which I think is kind of funny, is that they allege that the NFL um, failed to provide notice to designated entities and the way that you provide notice to designated entities is basically putting an ad in the newspaper and running it for so many days. Um, I, I mean, I don't know whether or not what criteria were used or what the exact, you know, the day-to-day -day process of negotiating, staying or not staying, but it seems to me that it's pretty subjective in terms of like what these factors are and like, do you say that, well, if we move to Los Angeles, we could make this much more money versus staying in St. Louis, which we'd only make this money. Like, you know, the fact that like in Los Angeles, Conkey's put up his own, own money, money for the stadium versus in St. Louis where it is a publicly funded stadium. And isn't, I, I might be confusing. So at the time that the Rams were looking to move to LA, I think the Raiders and the Chargers were also looking to move. Mm -hmm. um, the Chargers are now moving to LA, but they're not going to share a stadium with the Rams, I don't think. And Until, um, no, they will. After, they yeah, after the stadium's built, they'll share it. Right now they're playing out um, where the LA Galaxy play, out in like Carlsbad or something. But, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and as uh, local listeners may be aware, um, the Oakland Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Um, but where was I going with this? Oh, that the um, there one at least one of the facilities at some point was going to be used um, to house like the NFL Combine. I think was the idea that they would share space oh, with the right. NFL. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I don't know if that plays into St. Louis's suit or justifying the rationale for the move um, or if kind of the rationale for the Rams to move needed to stand kind of on its own, on its own two feet, um, mm -hmm. so to speak. It is, it is really strange. I mean, the, so some of the factors that you have to look at in terms of determining whether or not it's objectively a better thing for them to move mm -hmm. or not is the extent to which the club has satisfied its principal obligation of serving fans in the current community, the extent to which fan loyalty to and support for the club have been demonstrated in the current community. How do the Raiders leave if well, that's a... But that's the whole thing. Like, all of these factors, they look they look like they're all typed up and official, but they're all subjective. That's true. Right? I yeah. mean, it's just the extent the club received direct or indirect public support for its current facilities. So, I mean, that's probably one of the things that was... Um, you know, going against staying in Oakland for the Raiders because Libby Schaff at one point said we are not spending public money to build your new stadium. We have yeah. enough problems in Oakland. I mean, the stadium included, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Oakland City Council ultimately um, provided, agreed that they would give property and services in the amount of about $350 million to the Raiders, um, mm -hmm. but that didn't work out for them. Um, but you're right. I mean, how do you, how does one measure like fan engagement? Mm -hmm. I, and I yeah. don't think there are a lot of engaged fans in LA. Like, let's be honest. Well, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, from everything that I've heard, and this is just from listening to like a handful of podcasts, but they're, I mean, they, they're not even like the fan experience isn't even all that great. And no. they're probably not really well attended. I don't know if it's because the Rams are terrible right now or, or what, but the Rams did used to play in LA for a number of years. Um, it just seems like it just seems very subjective to me. Um, so St. Louis apparently expended some money, probably in the magnitude I think like between seventeen and twenty-five million dollars, to hire consultants 
and engineers and architects to try to figure out a way to either build a new stadium or, um, you know, like different plans and trying to probably mount its campaign to keep them. And that's part of, um, they're saying that they undertook all of these efforts and the Rams basically rebuffed them or they already had their minds made up essentially. Yeah. So that's referred to in our business as surface bargaining and it's <laughs> yes. illegal. Yeah. Um, so the damages that the Rams are seeking, they are not, or excuse me, that St. Louis is seeking, they're not seeking to have the team come back. The team's gone. That okay. ship has sailed. But um, what they are, the, the way they got to the number for the damages they're looking for is um, by seeking disgorgement of all of the profits that the NFL and its teams gained from this relocation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're looking at other unspecified punitive damages as well. Um so basically, St. Louis thinks these clowns are a bunch of frauds, and they want a lot of money to punish them for not, you know, negotiating in good faith. Yeah, and I mean, and that's, and I understand that, like, you might, you as a fan or you as a city might feel rebuffed, but you know, for me, at the end of the day, it's a business, and if you're not going to put up the goods, right. like, there's nothing that keeps them from like ripping the heart out of your your fandom by my leaving their team no and this has i mean i have never seen at least to my knowledge although i welcome other people's thoughts a municipal or publicly funded stadium that ever worked out for the benefit of oh, the locality yeah. and so as sad as i am to see the raiders go i think libby shaft did 100 the right thing mm-hmm. by saying like we're not going to like issue a billion dollars worth of bonds to keep you people here yeah you know, this is a the NFL is a billion dollar industry. Like mm-hmm. you pay for your own damn stadium. Um, but I do think, you know, to the extent St. Louis has a publicly funded stadium or spent a ton of money um, to try and keep the Rams here, based on some kind of indication or promise from the Rams they weren't going to leave. That's where I think you know they they should be able to realize some recovery. St. Yeah. Louis is not in particularly great financial shape, as I understand. Um, so, you know, maybe that was a mistake on the part of the governing bodies there, but nonetheless, if they acted kind of detrimentally, um, in reliance on things the Rams said. Yeah. And there is actually, so there are, I believe four to five breaches or causes of action, um, breach of contract, which is against all the defendants, the NFL and all of the owners, unjust enrichment, which Burke was just discussing against the NFL and all of the owners. But there is a there is a cause of action of fraudulent misrepresentation against the Rams and Stan Kroenke for basically saying for years we're never leaving St. Louis. This team's going to stay here, you know, just whatever. Like you can pull out of the press or in whatever statements that either he or his uh, one of his vice presidents have made about, um, you know, oh Stan's not looking at property in L.A. You know the Rams are here to stay. Um, so that's a it's a fifty two page complaint. Um, but about like 30 pages of it is just, well, like the caption, which basically lays out all of the parties. So I guess if you ever wanted to know what the mailing address is of your favorite NFL team, you could just flip through the caption because it's all listed there. Um, yeah, the Patriots are at like one Patriots One Patriot place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's another chart inside that's like four or five pages that like list out the teams and like what state they play in. I, I mean, I appreciate how helpful that is, but if you don't know what state like a team plays in, I think that's probably an indictment on our educational system. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's probably necessary. <laughs> um, one side note on Stan Kroenke, uh, he is not one of my favorite owners. In fact, um, 
I kind of find him a little bit reprehensible. But he is he owns uh, the Arsenal football team yes. in England. He owns a number he, of he sports does. teams. Um, Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. I don't think he owns a basketball team. He doesn't own the Nuggets, does he? He might own the Nuggets. Oh. I don't know. I should probably look that up before okay. I start talking. You can talk about Arsenal, and I'll find out if he owns the Nuggets while you're... So, yeah, so he owns um, an Arsenal football team, and there was um, a petition started in about 2016 that the fans uh, created to remove Kroenke as majority owner, citing increased ticket sales, a worsening team, and a quote from Kroenke where he said, uh, quote, I didn't buy Arsenal stake to win trophies. I'm like... So I'm not really sure why. Why'd you buy them? Why'd you buy them? Or like, why wouldn't you just, why wouldn't you support your team winning trophies? But it's actually been a kind of sad decline. I am not an Arsenal fan. I'm actually a Spurs fan. So, but I don't feel that Arsenal is my moral enemy or anything like that. But um, Arsenal has had a great run where they have finished basically in the top four of the Premier League for like year upon year upon year. And this year they're actually in seventh place. And... You know, there's a lot of it goes to probably like players and coaches and, you know, Arsene Wenger is on the hot seat, but they're not spending their money very well either. And, you know, and if it's the money that's related, I'm going to blame Kroenke for that. Um, so he does own the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Rapids of the MLS and the Colorado Mammoth of the National Lacrosse League. Um, although all of those Colorado properties are in his son's name because apparently there is a rule in the NFL that you're not allowed to own teams in multiple markets, even if they're outside of your, um, not in the NFL, which that seems crazy weird. that he, well, that's, yeah, that's kind of weird too, but it's just crazy that he owns so many sports teams. He's worth $7.4 billion according to Wikipedia, which I know is not the end all be all, but I think they're properly sourced. <laughs> um, but yeah, why... Why would you own a sports team if you don't care if they win or not? Although I say that as a Boston Bruins fan, Jeremy Jacobs, <laughs> who looks like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and acts like him too. Um, for years, he, you know, new people would always show up to the games, very dedicated fan base, and the team was awful. Um, but people didn't stay home, so he felt no compulsion to um, uh, put a good product on the ice. So. Well, I mean, that would probably be the same for um, the Clippers owner pr prior to Steve Ballmer. I mean, you know. He well, I mean, I don't think Jeremy Jacobs hates black people, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was not meant as an indictment on Jacobs' position on race relations. It's just the fact that... Um, yeah, they just own them yeah, and if you get money. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it was just like, we'll just put out a mediocre product each year and um, I still get my revenues from the league and all of that. Uh, so anyways, that that's currently ongoing. I mean, I think they just filed a complaint recently and, and we'll see how this um, how this goes. The last NFL story that we wanted to talk about is actually quite, um, it's a little sad. So I happen to be a really big Eli Manning fan. One, because, Why? Well, because he's a mouth breather. Okay. And I have a soft spot in my heart for mouth breathers. And I happen to just, I mean, so my husband is a Giants fan. Oh. Yeah, so I don't know that you knew this prior to That now. sounds familiar now that you've said it out loud. Um, okay. So, uh, because his dad grew up in New Jersey. He comes by it honestly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I've, and you know, and there are some players on our team that I've always found to be uh, entertaining and like really, like Victor Cruz, I think he's probably just a really nice human being. I like ODB. He's yeah, fun to watch. he's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so... Uh, Eli Manning, the Giants uh, owner, and um, a few other 
people in the Giants organization, equipment manager, equipment manager, were sued by um, memorabilia sellers um, for basically it was a racketeering scheme to distribute and sell fraudulent memorabilia, and this really relates to, I guess, whether or not there were helmets or jerseys that were actually game worn versus ones that were issued for games but just not worn in games, or maybe they were used in practice. I don't know, um, but they are. Yeah, so they're being sued for that, for this, and there was an email that came out from, I want to say like 2010, 2011, maybe, um, that basically, Eli was like, does, can these two things pass as game worn? And they're saying that that's proof that uh, Eli was engaged in racketeering. Um, if you heard that, by the way, that's probably a dog or a kid falling down upstairs. <laughs> um, so we bring this up. Uh, so there have been no federal charges against the Mannings or uh, the Giants. This was actually investigated a number of years ago and there were no charges brought at that time. Um, and I believe that according to Michael McCann of SI, actually he wrote a pretty good article about this, the statute of limitations has come and gone right. for a federal prosecution. Uh, so this is just a civil suit. Um, but it's racketeering, which is one of my most favorite things to talk about because it's always like, you always think racketeering and you think instantly of the mob, but. Um, so is the, I know part of the defense of the Giants have come out with a saying, like, these emails were taken out of context. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen the copies of the, like, actual exhibits that were produced, and it's, I mean, there's an email chain, and that's, it follows, um, that he is asking for two helmets that can pass as game-worn, but Mm -hmm. I guess the question then becomes, like, does he just mean, do they look like, I mean, I wore them, but do they look like I wore them, or is it just like, I threw this helmet on, you Mm -hmm. know, in the final you know, two minutes of the game, yeah. and it doesn't look like I used it. Or yeah, exactly. Like what? What? What, what actually? What does for? pass mean? <laughs> yeah. And what's the definition of is? So yeah, what <laughs> does pass mean? Is it? Yeah, I had it at the game. It was just sitting on the sideline, right. and I could have grabbed it if I wanted to, if I needed one, or but I chose not to grab it that way. Like, you know, as opposed to like a, a grass stain torn up jersey that's exactly. kind of obviously been worn yeah. in the game. So this probably, I mean, it comes to light one because it's the Giants organization and it's Eli Manning, um, but also because Tom Brady's game-worn jersey from the Super Bowl went missing for a number of days, and people have estimated that it's like worth five hundred thousand dollars. Just, you have that type of money to spend on like a dirty ass football <laughs> shirt. Like, what are you doing with your life? Why are you spending your money on? I mean, I guess it's not my business to judge, but it's also really odd. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I get memorabilia to a degree, but there are many, many further degrees of it that I don't get, which is, um, it's more valuable to me sitting in this like glass or plastic covered (laughs) frame because it might have a dirt stain on it versus it's clean, but it has an autograph on it still. I mean, I don't. It's soaked in Tom Brady's sweat. Like maybe... No sugar, no gluten. <laughs> um, no yeah. tomatoes. Okay. Which, that, oh my god, we could do an entire episode <laughs> on Tom Brady and his weird, weird diet. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, I guess if you have like $500,000 to spend on whatever the hell you want to, why wouldn't you own, uh, I've now talked myself out of judging <laughs> them for not, own, for owning the thing. Um, well, I I suppose the the basic problem is is that if I'm buying something that is purported to be one thing, it shouldn't be right. something else. But uh, really, 
do something better with your money, people. <laughs> no, and actually, the Tom Brady jersey situation. Um, now, I, this is not Tom Brady's fault, to be clear. I know I have a soft spot in my heart for Tom, um, but there was at the same time that the FBI was <laughs> yes, running around in Mexico back. looking for this damn jersey. Um, news blew up out of Washington D.C. that there were like. Uh, dozens of young women of color who had gone missing over a very short period of time so tom brady got embroiled in that controversy but like why are we spending law enforcement um resources over this stupid jersey when like kids are disappearing off the streets of dc and nobody seems to care which um i think at least i don't know i've noticed this working in government that people like don't always understand that one group just because one group is doing something like it doesn't oh. mean they could alternatively be doing something else yes. right so and like the fbi probably would not i mean i suppose they could be investigating what's happening with the children of washington dc but that's really kind of outside their jurisdiction so one does not relate to the other yeah and it's not necessarily um that it was tom brady who called the fbi and said please find my jersey that's true whatever the powers that be or whatever crime was you know probably like... roger goodell because <laughs> he <laughs> ruins everything <laughs> so, okay so yes roger goodell ruins a lot of things um, i don't know about everything but a lot of things i will i will grant that but again when people say well the nfl did this or it's roger goodell yeah. did this it's like well let's probably sit back for a second and think about the actual structure and how decisions are made so that's just well like for example you know mayors get blamed for a lot of things that actually are the actions of their city councils or their board of supervisors that's true mayors can be figureheads but um i know i guess i think libby shaft does still deserve the credit for pushing back on the raiders um, since Oakland's a... But didn't she do a... She did a turnaround, didn't she? Well, this was the property and services. So what I guess they... My understanding of what they agreed to do was to give them like $150 million worth of property in Oakland and then invest a couple hundred million dollars in infrastructure to develop the site. But mm-hmm. that's... I mean, that's a fraction of what a lot of other yeah. um, places have um, contributed in terms of issuing bonds to actually build the stadium. Mm-hmm. So to the extent any kind of like municipal funding of a stadium is done responsibly, this seemed like the most prudent way to go. At least the city would continue to get the benefit of any infrastructure mm-hmm. um, improvements they did. And the land is the land. It's not like it's cash out of pocket. Yeah, so. that's true. Um, for further discussions on uh, public financing of stadiums, it's Malcolm Gladwell, right? I believe the, yeah. so. so yeah. Uh, any one of his books or his podcast with Bill Simmons, they talk extensively on um, why the public shouldn't finance uh, private stadiums. I frankly agree with them. So. See the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for our last story today... Um, I think this is one that Burke really wants to talk about. It's basically the final, I feel like the final segment of our podcast is now becoming like Burke's reality TV <laughs> corner. Because in addition to the one that Genevieve knows about, I'm also, there was a, an issue on the Real Housewives of Atlanta season finale that's really exciting to me. And I think will be exciting to her. But first up is um, Mike the Situation Sorrentino. Uh, you may call him from Jersey Shore fame. Um, he was also on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> He's just a mess of a human being, um, and that is all the more emphasized by his recent um, charges of tax evasion. In September 2014, the situation and his brother, Mark, were arrested for a variety of tax-related charges, including conspiracy, filing false tax returns, failing to file a tax return. Um, his brother was charged with conspiracy and filing false tax returns, but um, the situation this week 
was um, further charged with tax evasion and structuring funds to evade currency transaction reports. Now, I, I'll own it. I was a fan of the Jersey Shore when it first came out. <laughs> uh, based on what I know of Mike, the situation Sorrentino, I don't know how he ever thought he would be able to pull off um, currency transactions. I don't know why I'm saying that like those are not words I understand. But <laughs> I, I, it's fascinating to me how like somebody who basically got famous for being like a doofus on television um, was able to... I don't know. He just like he had a shitload of money, and now he's in lots of trouble. Which I guess emphasizes the fact that he's not particularly smart and did not seek the help of people who could have so, worked to avoid this issue. But. And I think I read this this morning where Wesley Snipes, who was another famous person right. who actually went to prison for like for, three years, for three years, he was convicted of three misdemeanor counts of failing to file tax returns. Um, that was reduced from actual felonies because I believe he, well, no. But um, he actually got received professional assistance for his tax issue. Oh, yeah. So I don't know that his tax people went to jail. I know Wesley Snipes went to jail. Um, huh. Yeah. So I don't know. As you said, maybe, um, you know, Mike actually, Mike, the situations, and his brother Mark, they're the ones who signed the tax return, I'm sure. Well, and that's how Teresa Judice from The Real Housewives of New Jersey got in trouble with the bankruptcy fraud. She didn't actually... She wasn't kind of spearheading the illegal contracting efforts, but her signature was all over these documents, and she would just, like, her husband would give her stuff, and she would just sign it, um, which I think emphasizes what all lawyers know is never (laughs) sign anything without reading it and knowing what you're signing. Um, Some of the explanation behind kind of the structure that Mike and his brother used to get into this level of trouble, um, they had... Two corporation or companies, um, MPS Entertainment and Situation Nation. Nation. That's my favorite. Um, so they were both, both of these entities were formed as what are called S corporations under um, the IRS code? Yes, federal law. And that means that they act basically as pass through entities. So the income comes through the corporation but ends up with the individual um, shareholders. So it's alleged that the brothers took money out of the companies um, to use for personal expenses, including high-end vehicles, high-end clothing, and personal grooming expenses, <laughs> but then turned around and said they were being used for business expenses, um, which I maybe their theory was they had, like, an image to project. Well, if you're selling, I mean, it's clothing sales, right? Well, one of the companies that uh, the situation owned yeah. was a clothing line, and I would imagine that, yes, you're... You, how you look in your clothing probably goes a long way in trying to sell your mesh tank top. Right. Um, oh, here is the the currency issue. Mike is accused of structuring or making multiple cash deposits on the same day in amounts less than $10,000 into uh. different bank accounts. Um uh, in an effort to evade reporting requirements, the actual practice of making cash deposits or withdrawals of less than $10,000 isn't illegal. It's only a violation um, when the transactions are structured for the purpose of evading the $10,000 plus reporting requirements. So for those of you who don't know, like when you make a deposit of $10,000 or more in your bank account, the bank actually flags that for the government so that you will have to report the appropriate amount of tax on that. And I suspect that's why you have the limit come when you come into the country, into the U.S. from another country, yeah, you can't bring more than $10,000 worth of cash. So if convicted, the Sorrentino brothers face a maximum sentence of five years for the conspiracy count, three years each for each count of aiding in preparation of a t- false tax return, 
and the situation himself faces a maximum sentence of 10 years for each structuring count and five for the tax evasion. Uh, a lot of time. It really is, and their accountant has already pled guilty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, I don't think I shouldn't laugh at these poor people. Uh, I guess when you fly so high, you Icarus. have a lot further to fall. Um, but yeah, the accountant um, pled guilty to preparing fraudulent tax returns for the Sorrentino brothers in 2010 and 2011. The brother, Mark, has already admitted that the returns defrauded the IRS from somewhere between half a million and one and a half million dollars. Um, so, yeah, I think these guys are going to jail. This yeah. This real bad. It, yeah, I mean, like, Wesley Snipes went to jail for a misdemeanor, like, several misdemeanor counts of failing to file tax returns. Well, tax evasion. That seems really, like, overkill. <laughs> he was not convicted of the felony, um... Why do I feel like we spent more money having him in jail than he would have owed the government if he had just paid his damn taxes? That's probably true, but he didn't pay his taxes for many, many, many years. Because I, I think that's he, true. I think he didn't pay taxes because he doesn't believe the government should get taxes. Oh, so well, that's um, yeah, so fair. he might not have ever paid taxes. Wow. Um, so what happened on the Real Housewives of Atlanta? Well, there was very exciting. There was an FLSA <gasps> oh. issue. On, Sorry, the, <laughs> on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, so for those of you who are um, Real Housewives of Atlanta fans, two of the most prominent characters are Phaedra Parks, who is an attorney and talks about being an attorney a lot and has a lot of cameras in her office, which I think seems sketchy and inappropriate, but who am I to judge? Maybe things are different in Georgia. Do they blur out like no. documents? Or, really? I mean, she doesn't really have documents on her table. I find any time like, there's an interaction between an attorney and a client on reality TV, I'm like, what the hell are you people doing? But, <laughs> well, there goes your privilege. Right? Um, so <laughs> Phaedra... Um, is had like an ongoing beef with one of the other women on the show, Candy Burris, who is famous from being in the 90s girl group um, Escape. Yes, that's right. And uh, she also, she's a really well-known songwriter. She wrote a bunch of songs for TLC. She's gotten a writing credit on Ed Sheeran's Shape of You because oh. they ripped off No Scrubs by TLC. <laughs> um, but anyway, Candy had an assistant, Johnny. And she allegedly, like, stole. She and her husband just opened up a restaurant in Atlanta. Allegedly, that was Johnny's idea. Um, they put on, like, a musical in Atlanta that they allegedly stole the idea from Johnny. But um, the lawsuit has come about because Johnny, knowing that Phaedra hates Candy, touched base with her saying that, like, Candy used to make him work, like, way over his normal, regular schedule every week and never paid him overtime. Um, his allegation was that she made him work something like 20 hours a week overtime on the regular and never paid him any additional money for that work. Um, my favorite detail of the story is that she um, had him plan her Coming to America themed wedding. <laughs> That's right. Like with dancers and lions. And when she appeared at the like start of the aisle they had like those big bands that they all like whipped oh, out really? of the way oh wow like they did in the movie and it was amazing but um yeah johnny and they would flash back to todd who's candy's husband like yelling at johnny about not getting things together for their wedding um and so anyway johnny is looking for back pay um for all of these hours that he worked but i'm i'm unclear as to how his position I would think he would have been an exempt employee. Well, I was just going to ask you, what does he do? He's like her 
personal assistant. So, all right. For so those of you who are not or both fans of the Real Housewives, but not necessarily fans of the Fair Labor Standards Act, um, in this country, uh, basically, if you work over forty hours in a week yes. um, and you are not exempt, uh, you are owed overtime. It's your regular one and one half times your regular rate of pay for any hours worth in excess of 40. That varies, of course, in like California, you can get overtime if you work more than eight hours in a day in most, um, for most employers if you're not exempt. And when we say when you're not exempt, there are certain titles and certain uh, positions and certain duties that make you uh, either a managerial, administrative, uh, professional, there's one other one and there's also a technology one too where it's sort of recognized that you um, do not perform like perfunctory duties you have to exercise a great deal of independent judgment so it's more like you're a manager versus a non-manager mm -hmm. uh, so you can just be paid a salary so it doesn't matter how many hours you work you get paid the same every single week like me and Burke um, but for most probably administrative assistants who do a lot of clerical things uh, individuals are paid on an hourly basis and they are they are subject to the overtime rules so i mean i would imagine that would be miss burris's defense right he's not he's exempt from these rules right. so that's why we didn't pay him overtime um candy uh, they they did talk to her at a party held at um, chateau charay which is the home that one of the other characters I call them characters like they're not real people, and this isn't a show about their real lives. But um, Sheree Whitfield, who was unceremoniously thrown out of her home by her shitty ex-husband about five seasons ago, she has been building this mansion in Atlanta ever since. Um, and it's referred to as Chateau Sheree. Finally, she built it, had a big party, and that's where Candy decided to confront Phaedra about um, giving Johnny this legal advice that then caused him to file suit against Phaedra. I mean, excuse me, against Candy. Um, Candy's response to the whole thing was, this is why I pay lawyers. You go fix it. So um, so that's, that's fair. <laughs> that's sort of where that is. Um, but I, whenever they were talking about the FLSA on my Sunday evening reality TV shows, I got very excited. So glad I could share that with all of you. <laughs> that's excellent. Well, that actually wraps up our show for the week. Yes. Um, so please uh, rate us on iTunes, or I think we're trying to figure out how to get on Stitcher, which I believe will make us available to folks who have Android phones. Um, and you should also feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram or Twitter at UFR underscore BG. Um, you can also check out our website under further review um, dash bg.com or you can reach us by email under further review dot bg at gmail.com. Um, if we get like questions, we could do a mailbag. Oh, that would be exciting. Episode, which I feel like is a little played out, but you know, we want we want to give the people what they want. <laughs> Thanks, Jacoby and Jalen. Jalen. Yeah. Champagne and campaign. That's right. Lobster tempura. <laughs> um, so that's uh, it for us this week. Um, Hopefully more celebrities and more athletes will be doing bad things, so we'll have more to talk about. felt like this was very... Oh, the U.S. Women's National Hockey oh, Team. Oh, yes, we would be remiss without um, giving you all an update on what happened with the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, right after our podcast on the topic, uh, they reached a settlement with the, um, the, Hockey, the Federation. Hockey Federation, and the um, normal team played in the World Championships, and they won! Um, so it just goes to show you that you can uh, do the right thing and still um, do well in your profession, which is something we can all keep in mind. 
So um, anyway, that's super exciting. Please start following women's hockey. It's a great sport. Does not get enough press. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing those ladies at the Olympics in South Korea next year. Hopefully we can finally knock Canada off the top of the um, podium in the Olympics since it seems to be our um, yeah. habit to win at the World Championships. And then not come through in the Olympics. In the Olympics. So I'd love to see uh, Megan Duggan and Hillary Knight get some gold medals there. Excellent. All right, so we will uh, be back with you soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks.